Hey everyone, it's Tom Kratz, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, we sit down with Ken Green. Ken is a longtime Rockstar Inner Circle member, and we are so grateful. Nick and I talk about this all the time. We are literally blessed to be able to work with so many amazing people. When you hear Ken's story on how he immigrated from Nigeria to Canada, and then he went through Toronto, but then he ultimately landed in Saskatoon, what he went through in Saskatoon, and then how he got back over to Toronto, and how he's been able to buy some properties and create cash flow, and how he's running his own business now, and he just wrote a book. I mean, to to be able to work side by side with people like this and call them Rockstar Inner Circle members is just amazing. This is why we started this business. So, Ken, we're grateful for you sharing your story on this podcast. If you are listening to this and you want to hang out with people like Ken who are doing things, you can learn about the Rockstar Inner Circle membership yourself at www.rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. That's www.rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. I was just talking to another longtime member who was in the office recently, and he was saying that he loves all the content. He was very complimentary, which you know we're grateful for. Obviously obviously, but he said it's the people at Rockstar and not not us, it's the other members, the other investors, the other Canadians who are doing things together that he really enjoys getting to know and hanging around and how it pushes him forward when he sees other people doing what he thinks is great things. So it's just a great group, a great network. We're very proud of all this. To be able to share Ken's story on this podcast is amazing. If you want to learn more about the membership for yourself, go to www.rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. That's it for now. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. And uh, yeah, I think we're live. Alexandra, you got us? Alex has got us. Nick, you can hear me? Yeah. You're just smiling. I don't know Boy, why you're smiling you know at me like I that. I was laughing because with the countdown now, it sounded like we're a well, professional so, studio all so of a sudden Ken, or something. Yeah, Ken, we had to do a countdown because on the last podcast, Alex said I just started too quickly and she wasn't ready for it. So now we're ready. Now you can't, Alex, you're not on the camera. No one can see you. You're hiding. Okay. <laughs> but uh, Ken, we're, we're pumped. We are so pumped to have you here. Really, since we, the date of booking this, to, for you to share your, sometimes I feel like I'm a soft person because I was born here in Canada and our parents obviously had quite the journey um, to get to this country. And then I read your story about coming to this country and we were just laughing uh, before we started this because you landed, you immigrated from Nigeria. That's correct. Right. And you landed in Saskatoon and there's nothing wrong with Saskatoon. I've never been there. I'm sure it's a beautiful <laughs> place, but to land, come from Nigeria and land in Saskatoon, Canada in January. That's right. You must have, did you want to just turn around immediately? What, what, what was the reaction? <laughs> well, I mean, we had, we're lucky because we had some friends that were already in Saskatoon. And so they had prepared us a little bit. And for some reason, we thought all of Canada was just like Saskatoon. So we had no idea what Canada looked like. So when you got to worry, Toronto, Tom's, Tom's already offending anyone from Saskatoon right no, now. I love <laughs> Look, I'm a fan of Canada. Everybody knows this. We, won't, we don't exist without this country. Um, but uh, no, no, in January, coming from Jamaica... Right, Jamaica. No, no Nigeria. 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 Sorry, yes. sorry. Yeah, butchered that one. But yeah, oh, we were talking about Niger we were talking about going on vacation to Jamaica. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. 
But um, but yeah, to land in Saskatoon, you must have thought Toronto was tropical by the time you got here. No, certainly, certainly. <laughs> I mean, I actually landed in Toronto first because we had to transit, uh, change flights. Um, and I had the opportunity to spend the night in Toronto. And so I think the temperature in Toronto when we got here was about 16, 17 degrees, uh, minus, uh, minus 17 degrees. Then the next day I landed in Saskatoon, it was like minus 30, minus 35. Uh, and so there was a difference. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you got to, I, I, I need to know the story. What made you leave Nigeria and come to Canada? What's the thinking to leave, you know, where you're from? You're leaving family too. I know you had That's some right. people here, but you left family too. What, what, why, why the move? Well, it was just chasing better opportunities. Uh, so in Nigeria, I was already working in the banking industry in Nigeria. Uh, I had a first degree in chemical engineering. Never really worked as an engineer, but I went straight into the banking industry. So worked for about four or five years. Uh, rising up to head of cash management operations at one of the big banks in Nigeria. And so I had these conversations with some of my classmates uh, that left Nigeria earlier, a few years earlier, to come to Saskatoon to pursue postgraduate degrees. And so I was chatting with them and they said, wow, why don't you come over here? This is good. And I was thinking, then I just got married. And so I said, okay, why don't I talk to my wife? Let her try it first. Uh, send her as the guinea pig. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The guinea pig. <laughs> that's right that's right before i go so my wife agreed and so we applied for a postgraduate uh, degree admission for her so she got into university of saskatchewan uh, into their master's of economics degree and so she processed her visa everything worked out for her so in september 2001 that's when she left so she left nigeria and came to saskatoon and I thought I would have a little bit more time uh, to join her, but she was just hitting me. No, you can't stay that long. You have to come right away. <laughs> so it, it turned out I didn't have much time. So I left in January 2002 uh, all the way to Saskatoon to join her. And the reason why we came here was just to pursue uh, better opportunities for, and, for and us. so for those Canadians who don't understand what better opportunity means what what did it mean to you like what employment lifestyle opportunity to get ahead well how did you define opportunity well for us I think it was more of lifestyle uh, uh, if you know anything about Nigeria Nigeria is more like a third world country uh, infrastructures are not well developed uh, we had good jobs and so we were lucky because we had good jobs so we could afford everything we needed um, but again, we are thinking ahead, thinking ahead for our kids. And that was the reason why we decided to come here, because we thought uh, coming to a country like Canada that is more stabilized with all the infrastructures in place, it was going to be much better for our kids. And so that was one of the reasons why we decided to come. Yeah, you were really looking at because you didn't have kids yet when you arrived, no, no, right? But you were just thinking ahead. That's yeah. right. Uh, and then um, how was it w when you started to work here? Like I noticed in your story on your website here, you have it all kind of laid out, which is, is it's, it, it, reading it is crazy, Ken, to see what you guys have <laughs> got, gone through because it, it looked like you started working in factories um, and right. grocery stores here in Canada. So to go from a high paying job or I don't know if it was high paying. Let me correct that. A good job in Nigeria, right. a relatively good job in That's Nigeria right. to come here working in grocery stores and factories. Man, you were committed like you were committed and That's then right. probably not having your bachelor's degree in chemical engineering um, recognized here in Canada. That's right. So, so that was it. Did you, was I guess what I'm getting to is, did you want to go home? Uh, how soon did you think <laughs> you had made a mistake and you wanted to go home? Well, well almost right away. Yeah. Uh, uh, 
almost right away. So we started questioning ourselves. Uh, did it make sense to come here in the first place? Uh, because coming here, what we had to do, we had acquired some assets back in Nigeria. And so we had to liquidate most of that to come here. And so we arrived here. We had about close to $10,000 in cash. And we just started burning through that cash quickly. And so as I was looking at the bank accounts, uh, my wife and I were beginning to get worried. And so my wife was in school full time. Then she started working part time as well. And, and I give a lot of credit to my wife because she had a lot of patience for me. And you know the expectation from my wife saying, okay, man, it's time for you to get a job. Uh, it was one month, two months, three months, four months, no jobs. And, and I, I was worried. And and if you know, uh, this is, um, I'm a black man in Saskatoon, mostly dominated by white people. And I was lucky because I had an English name, right? And so I would send out my resume. I would always get oh, calls. God, I, I never thought of that. <laughs> Ken Green. So, yeah. That's right. So yeah. I would always get calls for interviews. And then I would jump on the bus in the code. I would show up. And all of a sudden, they would start looking at me. Say, who are you? Where did you come from? And the conversation would change. And so I tried many times, it just didn't work. Uh, and so I, I ended up, I said, well, I gotta figure out something to do to generate some income. And then that's how I landed up, started doing some factory jobs. Uh, and then I think it was $7 an hour, I uh, started doing that. And so I did that for a couple of months. At some point I realized I just couldn't sustain this. And my wife and I, we decided, okay, you know what? Let me apply for MBA. And so I did my GMAT, I studied, did my GMAT, and got admission at the Schulich School of Business here in York University in Toronto. And the issue now was I didn't have the money. We've almost drained all our cash. And so I took what was left in the bank account, all of it, paid as an advance payment for my tuition, and left, came to Toronto, and my wife was still in school, working part-time. I said, okay, we just gotta figure out a way to pay for the rest of our fees. And so started the program. As I was working, doing the program, I was also doing part-time work from time to time, still working in factories in Toronto. And at some point, I just didn't have enough money when it was time to pay some fees. I had to call my parents and my brothers. I said, liquidate another asset for me in Nigeria. So they did. Sent about seven or $8,000. I used that to pay my fees and graduated. When I graduated, I was lucky. I got my first job with PwC uh, right after my MBA. And in 40, I think it was $40,000. Uh, um, Must have uh, felt like hitting the jackpot. That's that right. <laughs> so wow. that, was, that was good. So that income was there. My wife finished. She came to Toronto, got a job with the bank. And then we slowly started. We got a loan because now we have jobs. We got a loan from RBC to pay off all the school fees, outstanding school fees. And then we slowly started working and started paying off the loan with uh, with RBC. Was it wow? That's yeah. when I just think you're a stronger person than me to go through that, and that's when I feel like I'm I, so I'm so lucky, right? I just think I'm I'm lazy. Yeah, you know, you, it just you, makes me like I think I do a lot, but then I hear that and I'm like I've never really had to do that, you know, gone through that type family of journey. And and that's incredible. <laughs> like that's yeah. that's I'm sitting here just I was like just listening, being just kind of reflecting on you know, my journey probably during similar years. And I'm like that, my journey was not that 
mm-hmm. was substantially easier. So yeah, calling yeah, home overseas, yeah. saying liquidate whatever you can and send me cash. At that point, was your family telling you to come back home? No, not really. They were really, really supportive. So they knew that staying here in Canada was much better for me. And so they were really, really supportive of that. And yeah. uh, and so I was, uh, I th- that gave us some motivation. We just needed to figure out how to make it work here. Man, you and your wife, though, have, I, I'm curious, like through that, you guys must have built a pretty strong relationship because as you're going through those step by step and you're kind of making it all work, you know, in a new country, you're just leaning on each other, especially once you come to Toronto. Because did you have... By the time you came to Toronto, did you have friends here, like you had in Saskatoon, or you were coming here and you, you guys basically were starting over again after leaving Saskatoon? Well, we didn't have anyone in Toronto per se, uh, but what, what we had was, so our friends in Saskatoon uh, knew a few people in Toronto, because what they've done, uh, so in those days in Saskatoon, what our friends used to do, in the summertime, they would leave school. Uh, my wife also did that. In the summertime, they would leave school because Saskatoon is so small, it's tough to get jobs. Sometimes it's in Saskatoon. So most people would leave school and come to Toronto. So they'll come to Toronto, work in the summer months, get some cash, then go back in September to continue with their studies. Yeah. Um, and like, my wife did that too, uh, as well. Cool. That's funny because then it reversed what, a number of years ago. It reversed because a lot of people were doing that, going to Alberta, Alberta. especially with leaving the oil Toronto. Food, right. leaving Toronto, going there for you know months at a time, and then That's coming right. back here. Right. That's right. When, uh, when was the moment that you felt like you were starting to get ahead? You know, when you were starting to pay off that student debt. When was there a flip moment where you were like, okay, you know what? I think we're going. We're, we're now getting ahead. Was it when the debt was paid off? You got you pretty early got on. Uh, you got a, a Kitchener rental property in two thousand and seven. When right. did you graduate? Two thousand and so I left two thousand and five. That's when I graduated from uh, Schulich. Yeah, so two thousand five, two thousand seven. It's only two years from graduating right. there and then picking up your first rental property. That's enough to change your life. So why so why so quick? Like in two years, you jumped into that. If you were just getting out, uh, what you know, I don't know, for lack of a better term, digging yourself out of a hole because you were, you know you were using That's all your right. funds. You jumped right into that. Was what was the lot? Did you have exposure to that type of stuff back in Nigeria through your family or something? No, no, not really. So because we we're so hungry, uh, when, when my wife and I, when we were trying to figure this out, so we started learning a lot about real estate, about business, about everything. So we just started reading and learning a lot. Then in two thousand and five, when I started working. Uh, and my wife too had a job so both of us we had a job we had about a total of 70 grand in, in household income but we were lucky because then in 2005 we didn't have kids yet so it was just both of us oh hold on your kids might listen to this if you're lucky, <laughs> yeah, you're lucky yeah, yeah. You didn't have the kids. we were lucky we didn't have any kids <laughs> <laughs> so then our expenses were really really low right and so we were able to save uh, not me I give a lot of credit to my wife because I was spending everything I had uh, so my wife was very, very, she's good at saving. And she was the one paying down the debt. And, and I didn't even know she paid off the debt until I think she did it very quickly in, in like two or three years. Um, because what the plan we had was that I'm going to pay all the expenses. So I was paying the rent. I was paying all our household expenses. And so my wife was just saving her own cash. And so it was through her savings that in 2006, we had enough to buy our first home. So in 2006, that's when we bought our home in Brampton. And so we moved into our home in Brampton. And so I was learning all this stuff about real estate. 
in 2007, when we had the opportunity to buy our first rental property, I went to my wife. I said, wow, so there's an opportunity for us to buy our first rental property. And I had to convince her. Uh, but then we didn't actually have the down payment. So we had to, we were able to put together 10 grand. Uh, and this is a funny story because our first rental property was our biggest mistake. And the reason is because we actually signed all the documents and we didn't know that we had a second mortgage on that property. So the mortgage bro brokerage we're using, they had arranged everything. We didn't help you with that one, did we? No, no, no. Okay, good. We, we saw, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, I was going to say, that's early on. We didn't help you with that one. So it was so bad that we didn't even know that we had a second mortgage of about 20 grand on that property. Until a year later, when that mortgage was due, we got a call. Because they wanted the balloon payment. That's right. We got a call. Uh, you guys have to pay us 20 grand. I said, 20 grand? How come? From where? Why? And so that's when we went back and started looking at the documents. And wow, we actually signed a second mortgage as part of this agreement or this deal. And, and so, you know. That's one way to learn, Ken. That's, that's right. one it way was, to learn, man. It was, it was crazy. And they, didn't, they were not ready to extend. Uh, and I looked at my wife and all of a sudden, you know, she just brought that 20 grand <laughs> and we paid it off. So she had some savings. She had a line of credit. We paid off the 20 grand and then we just continued to, to manage the, the property. Uh, we, we had a lot of issues with that property, but that's something we will talk about later. <laughs> wow. Do you still own that particular property today? No, no. We eventually you, you sold got rid of that one. That's right. But uh, like 2002, you land in Canada. Your wife's already been here for four months or so. That's but right. But 2002, 2006, first home in Brampton. 2007, first rental property. Signed, first amount of crazy paperwork. We've all been through signing crazy crazy <laughs> paperwork. That's what, I feel like that's your rite of passage as a real estate investor, like <laughs> just doing messed up things. You survive that. That's a pretty quick turnaround though. Like from four years, Nick, that's interesting too, just from someone you arriving to Canada, four years, like they worked hard and saved, but that's the time it took to buy their first home. But then they didn't stop, they bought another home. And, and it's because Ken spends money, his wife saves all the money, but Ken was spending <laughs> money, so he found another thing to spend money on. This time it was good, but the paperwork was bad. So uh, I like how your wife just appeared with twenty grand to yeah, pay off the mortgage. God, you know, the sure. more, yeah. Ken, the more I hear about your story, thank God you met this woman. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, okay, so 2007, when do you transition into, um, I want to talk more about real estate stuff, but into accounting full-time? Because now, it's, is it your, it's your own practice? So now it's my practice. How did uh, that trend, yeah, so how did you get to be your own practice? You left the corporate world? That's right. So I, I left the corporate world at some point. So in 2005, I, I got my first job here with PricewaterhouseCoopers. So in PricewaterhouseCoopers, I was working in their audit division, so doing a lot in downtown Toronto. So I did that job for about four and a half years. Uh, in 2008, so late in 2008, early 2009, I I went on second man to the U.S. So I worked in California for six months with oh, PwC. Wow. And so after the six months, uh, it was such a tough six months because it was so busy. Uh, I spent all that time just working for the most part. Uh, but I was lucky because I still had some time to enjoy the city a little bit. Uh, because what they were doing at that point, they, they gave me the opportunity to fly back every two weeks. Wow. Or to fly my family. And so I had the opportunity to go to so many U.S. cities. Uh, because it was too far to come to Toronto, I, I always didn't come. I flew my wife and my daughter at the time. So they came to L.A. 
uh, a, a few times. Uh, but it was an awesome six months. But when I came back to Toronto, I was so exhausted, I just couldn't take it anymore. And then I got lucky, I got a job with the bank. And so in 2009, I left and went to BMO. So while at PwC, I couldn't start my own practice because it was conflict of interest. Uh, so as soon as I moved to BMO, I started a side hustle uh, doing tax returns. And so that's how I started my business. And so I would do those in the evenings and weekends, uh, mostly in the busy season. How did, you, uh, how did you get the client? Like, how did you get the customers for that? It was m- mostly friends, so people that I knew. So just talking to my friends. And so I got a few clients working the business as a side hustle while I was still working at the bank. Because at the bank, I just found out that I had a lot of time. Uh, and so the job was not as stressful. And, and oftentimes, I would just sit in my desk doing nothing. So then I was just using that time to build my business, to read more about real estate, to learn more. And I did that for a few years, then moved to RBC in 2015 or so, no, 2014, yeah, moved to RBC. Then in 2016, I, I got fired from RBC, so that's when... Good, um, good, that was a positive. Congratulations, <laughs> yeah. That's when I just moved into full-time. Then the business had already grown to some point. I had a part-time. My did partner. you have an accounting uh, designation of some sort at that time? I had it from PwC. Oh, you did so from PwC. While at PwC, got I got my CPA. Okay. Um, so I did all the professional exams. Uh, got my CPA while at PwC. Then, um, then started practicing. I was lucky because I partnered up. So I started my my. You keep oh. saying you were lucky in certain things, but you realize how much hard work you've put in, right? <laughs> you yeah, the luckiest people work the hardest, man. So you keep saying you're lucky, but it's it's more than luck. But, uh, uh, yeah, but maybe maybe more than luck. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's more than luck. But uh, okay, so you, you so in 2012, I, I got lucky and partnered up with someone, uh, a lady that I knew at PwC, and so she had moved on from PwC to a smaller firm in Burlington, and she wanted to run her own practice as well. So in 2012, uh, we came together, I partnered up with her, and we started our firm, uh, GMS Professional Corporation. So she was full time while I was still part time. Yeah, that works. Yeah, that works. That was nice. So there's some cash. You had some cash flow coming in. That's it right. kind of worked for both of you to, to be right. set up like that. That's right. Holy smokes. Okay. okay so oh, go ahead, Nick. No, I was just going to say, and then when, so when, when you did that, because you have this book now, which I think we're going to talk about afterwards, but, but tax efficient wealth. And I think one of the things that I really like about it is that it's just so, it's, it, it's, it's such an easy read. And it, it's a lot, a lot of things with, fin- with finances, a lot of people don't understand them because they're not put into plain English. And I like the way you just kind of break things down into into plain English. But mm-hmm. so I'm I'm curious, and I I think because it's in here in one of these one of these charts that we'll talk about in a second. But so through this time, then when you're still going through these jobs, you were still investing in property. So you had the place in 2007. It sold. You sold it. Did you sell it before you bought another place, or did you no. buy another place first? Well, we bought another place first. So uh-huh. that first property that we buy, we didn't sell it until 2016 or 2015. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that that That's extra right. 20 grand that you had to pay that you were surprised by ended up working out pretty nice. That's it was, right. it was, ended up being a pretty good. <laughs> it's like one of the, the early properties we bought that we think we overpaid for. They ended up being some pretty good mistakes that we made. Right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so, we still own that one and it's more than tripled. 
So, yeah, yeah, so yeah, we're okay. Yeah. So the extra, I think it was what, what, what did we think, 25 or 30 grand or something that we paid too much? Yeah. When you say we, you mean you overpaid on that one. So <laughs> I, you know, I usually overpay on everything. No, I'll be, I'll be I yeah, usually yeah, overpay on true. everything. And you know what? To be fair, I don't even think we overpaid. I think we just looked at a comparable down the street that seemed yeah, a little we cheaper. We didn't look into it too much. Yeah. 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 But, uh, okay. So then you kept, so, but, I, so when did you buy your second investment property? First one was 2007. Kind of had some surprises with it. Um, when did you buy it and why did you buy it? Because the first one was going okay or it sounded like it mm-hmm. might not be going okay, but no. you still moved on to more. That's right. So even when we're having some tough experiences with the first one, we just knew, just based on what we were reading, that somehow if we hold it for a long term, that is going to turn around. So the next year, in 2008, that's when we bought the second one. But it was a pre-construction. So we bought the second one, pre-construction, and it was a condo in downtown Mississauga, and then we closed the following year. And so we held that one for, uh, for about four or five years in 2012. So it was in 2012 we sold the condo, because I was sitting on the board in the condo, so I saw a few things coming up, and we decided to sell the condo. So we sold the condo in 2008, we used the proceeds, so we bought it for two, about 200 grand, sold it for about 260 or 265. We used the proceeds to buy a fiveplex in Kitchener uh, in 2012. So we bought that fiveplex in 2012. Then we didn't buy another property until we met you guys in 2014. I think that's when I came into Rockstar in 2014. Um, so in 2014, we bought maybe two or three. Then every year after that's that- That's when you met buy, Mike? That's right. Yeah. Then I think every year after that we've been buying at least one or two. Right. So. <laughs> that's a that sounds so crazy, right? We bought uh, three, and then every year after that we've been buying one or two. Yeah. 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 You you got you got uh, you got hooked onto the real estate bug. And then what? Uh-huh. And then what? Why? So the one that you've sold, that one that you had in two thousand seven, you sold it in two thousand sixteen. Any that's reason right. why? Like why that particular one? I'm just curious. So, so that property, we had so many issues. Uh, and so when we bought that property in 2017, they had this arrangement where they had a pool of investors. Um, so a pool of investors bought it, and the idea was they were going to manage it as a pool. They were going to pay our mortgages. If there's anything left, they will pay to us. So that only lasted for about one year. Then there was a cash call. Um, so I think the property managers were so bad that the vacancy rate was shot up up to about 70%. So almost everyone left the property. Um, and so we were able to, we took, off, we took over our mortgage. So we started paying our mortgage directly with RBC at the time. Um, we didn't have any tenants, so we almost had our property vacant for about a year or so. This, this was the five-plex? No, no, this was the first property we bought. Oh, okay. Yeah. What, what kind of property was the first property? It's a small condo. It's a low-rise condo low of rise. about 70 units. Okay, and you had one of the units? Well, I had just one Okay, unit. I got you. I got That's you. right. So we had to sustain that property, so we just started paying it. Then luckily, because I also sat on the condo board, so luckily they found an investor. And so this guy came because the banks now took over all the properties for those guys that couldn't sustain their mortgage uh, mortgage payments. So the bank took over about eight, 20 units. And so luckily, so me, the property manager, and some people on the board, we found this investor in Kitchener who came and bought the whole 20 units. Um, he's a smart guy. I, I wish I had money then. But he came. 
He bought the whole 20 units. He saw the opportunity. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. He bought the whole 20 units for about 90, 90 something grand. We paid about 130 for that property a few years later, a few years before. So he came, he bought those 20 units. So that now injected some cash into the condo corporation. We hired a new property manager. So that property manager came and they started doing a lot of work to fix the units. So we fixed everything about our property. We now started attracting new tenants. And then slowly the value started rising. And we ended up selling it for about 160 thereabout. Wow. Um, yeah, wow. You got out of that left. pretty well. Yeah. That's right. I thought you were going to say it came back up to maybe what you paid for it and you sold it. No, it went a little bit over. So we paid 130. We sold it for about 160. So a lot of those so things, it sounds like an, uh, you know, around that time, a uh, popular thing that was happening was the condo conversions where people were taking That's rentals. Right. So what, what was the condo conversion at the time when you guys originally bought it? No, when we bought it, yeah, the condo conversion just happened before they sold it to us. So this lady that ran the mortgage corporation, so what she had done, so she just made a lot of money from yeah. all, we know the, all the, all the stupid yeah. guys that, we that bought from her. So we they know. bought the property converted it and then sold all the units so yeah. i was one of those that the stupid guys that bought well it's not still, no i wouldn't say that we we had so many people in that time calling us a few years later saying oh, yeah. how they had lost money like you came out and didn't lose money at least we know a lot of people who got into those things you know not left in a very bad situation six actually. figure losses like yeah, they walked right. away losing some big money so it you survived yeah. and I, you keep saying luckily throughout the whole story, but you got yourself on the condo board. That's right. Like you did all these things to be in the know, to try to control your own fate. That's right. so, I think that's the key is that you still had, not you still had, everyone ha- had it, but you still took control of things where a lot of people just went into it and, you know, because you were promised um, like rent guarantee, you, that's you know, right. right. And then they said, but it only lasted a year, which was very typical. A lot of those things didn't last. Some of them didn't even last a year. So, so, but, but you were, yours at least lasted a year, but then you still took control over your kind of destiny. Whereas a lot of people, they were going into that one, expecting it to completely hands off and then it impacted them even more. Right. right. It's that whole thing. Like the, the, the less control you have, the more risk you're at. Uh, always, always, always. And that's, you know I, mean? I think that's why you always hear us talk about that too. Like just, you want full control. So you want, and you know, even, you know, we're going to talk about taxes in here in a little second. I feel like you want the professional to do your taxes like someone like yourself can, but you want to be involved in what they're doing because you want to understand what's happening. Yeah. So you know what's going on. Otherwise you're just flying blind. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're someone in that position and you have some assets and you're working with an accountant and you just don't know what's going on, you're like, I don't know, the accountant handles all that. I'm, There's certain things that I don't know at all. And it's like the the different, the, the dividends things always, I don't fully figure out. But when it comes to like the profit and loss and that type of understanding, <laughs> we, I, I are we making that. money or losing money? Yeah. Right. But there's some, like with some of the tax code stuff, I don't understand. That's one thing. Yeah. But a lot of people just leave everything of their finances to someone else. And then I'm just like, how? I, I just feel like you, you should have a handle on it a little bit, yeah. right? I'm surprised you kept going with real estate because I th- I would think that, you know, you're still fairly new to a, a new country, new new place. And I feel like that first property kind of left maybe a little bit of a sour taste in real estate. So you were okay. committed to real estate because that's not a good thing to go through. Yeah. You know? um, what, what did you end up buying with Mike? here on our team. So we bought, uh, so Mike actually bought a home in Oakville because we were he in Brampton. He bought your home? Yeah. So we were living in Brampton. It was in 2015 we moved to Oakville. So Mike helped us buy our home in Oakville. Um, he bought a property for us as well in Cambridge. 
Uh, is there another one? When you say he bought it for you, you bought it. He just oh, helped you yeah, find yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> like, how nice much money? How much money is Mike dropping over here? <laughs> <laughs> That's why everyone likes Mike. He's <laughs> buying people properties all over the place. <laughs> yeah, cool. Uh, okay. So, so I think those are the two that I can remember now: the Cambridge one and, and here in Oakville. Got it. And then when you 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 stumble, you, so you're just love continuing education because that's why you must have stumbled into us Certainly. because you were reading and then you probably pl- clicked on one of our ads somewhere and you thought, who the heck are these people? How are these guys going to screw me or what's going to happen? <laughs> um, so we're grateful, Ken, that you, oh, you trusted you. us enough to to kind of work with us. You know, we're very grateful. Well, so. thank you. Thank you. It was actually Temo. I don't know if you guys know Temo. Yeah, of course. So yeah. Temo and I used to work at PwC in downtown. Yeah, I think I forgot that. And I so, knew that and forgot yeah. that. Yeah. It was it was Temo that linked me to, to you guys, actually. Temo said, oh, come to this group. I go I go to this group in uh, Oakville. Uh, join. And so that's how I joined. Uh, yeah, very cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, and then, okay, so you buy these properties, then you're, um, now you have a bunch of real estate, you get fired from your job, which is like a complete blessing in disguise. You go full time into this business. Um, did, was there a panic moment of the business or because your partner, she had been running it kind of full time for a little bit, was there enough clients to sustain both of you? Well, there were, there were clients, uh, yeah. but there was not enough cash. <laughs> yeah. That sounds about so, right. That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. So we had clients, but we certainly didn't have enough cash uh, to to pay me. So it was it was a real, it was sort of scary uh, because I was really not prepared to leave my job. I had planned to leave my job at the end of that year in 2016, uh, but I got let go in January. So one year before uh, before I had planned to to leave. And so it, it was kind of challenging for me. Uh, so that was that year was challenging because now I had to start liquidating all my investments just to sustain my lifestyle uh, for the next one year or so. Um, at the point in the business, we we're still investing in the business uh, in terms of you know getting new staff, uh, increasing their salaries, uh, trying to figure out ways to grow the business, doing some marketing stuff. And so a lot of the cash were still pumping into the into the business. Um, so I was only taking very little. My partner was taking very little. Then I just started doing a few other things on the side, doing some contract work here and there while I was still learning business just to get some sufficient cash. And so that was the, that was what we, we've done. Even up to this day, we are still investing in the business. Um, it never ends. Figure, never, never ends. ends. Yeah, but that salary thing at the beginning is real a real doozy to overcome because I remember when Nick and I, when I quit my job and Nick quit his, I remember I had already uh, had two kids at that time. So my carrying costs in my life were a bit more expensive. And I remember Nick and I chatting sometimes saying, listen, if we don't make some money this month, like... It's, things are going to get real here pretty pretty soon. Yeah, the run the runway early on the runway can be can be short. You know, you're like it's if you don't there's not a large margin for error. That's right. And right. if you're not committed to it 100, percent you're going to find a way out of it. That's like right. if you go into your own business and you're not committed, there's too many opportunities to get. Because I'm sure you considered at least at some point getting another full time oh, job. Oh, no, certainly, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, just think right now how many how many people started businesses let's say earlier this year with that short runway and they were hit with, with you know the, the covid and, and things being shut down and it's just yeah, it's, it's it's unfortunate because early on it's you know you're investing into the business but when you're forced to shut down and you have a short runway you're you're out of luck 
That's right. right. So now with your own practice, what do you tell people? How do you introduce people to real estate who don't know? But because most people we deal with, and I'm sure you get the same, they're just completely petrified about real. Like we have been told the real estate market is not the market to get into for at least, at least since 2008. I mean, I've been told that since 1998, but at least since 2008, we've been told the real estate market's not something you want to get into. How do you, what is, do you take the tax angle to talk to people about getting into real estate or what, what is the angle you, how do you introduce people to it? Well, it's mostly, I mean, it's mostly looking at it from a long-term perspective. Uh, the fact that we have enough history to prove that over time real estate goes up in value. Um, the fact that there's enough data to prove that real estate will outpace inflation. And the fact that real estate is a tax advantage vehicle, right? And so when I come with all of those angles, uh, it becomes a little bit easier to convince clients uh, to go into real estate because I always try to convince people, you got to figure out the best place to put your cash if you have cash. And if you want to put your cash somewhere, um, I, I just look at four criteria that you look at, right? Uh, you got to think about growth. You got to think about something that can provide you liquidity. You got to think about something that can pay you at least 10% per annum or close to that. And, and so, and you have to look at something that is going to give you tax advantages, right? And so, I just have simple criteria that I use to assess all investments. And that's what I show my clients. Okay, if I give you all of these criteria, why don't you tell me where, what investment vehicles? will meet or will satisfy some of these criteria. And then when they can come up with ideas, then I'm not suggest, well, I think real estate can do this. Tax exempt life insurance can do this. Business can do this. And then we just narrow it down to a few investments. And so that's how I convince uh, some of my clients with cash. Uh, it's funny, we, we, we were just talking about life insurance, actually, and we're putting, we have a podcast going out next week about life insurance specifically, because we had dismissed a lot of the value and importance of life insurance. Now we get it. On the real estate side, how do you, when people talk to you about liquidity, sometimes I think we enjoy real estate because it's, it's not something you can sell overnight, That's but a single right. family home is in the real estate world, it's a pretty liquid piece of real estate. But it's still not something you're going to sell overnight. Right. How do you explain liquidity? Is that is that a showstopper for people saying that they can't sell it quickly, or do you? It is, eh? So that comes up. So that's that's one of the big reasons why they can't they don't see it. Uh, but but I just look at it from a different angle. I said, well, if you set up real estate, the way you create liquidity is to set it up in such a way that you automatically create a line of credit that is attached to your real estate. So that as you pay down your debt, that equity continues to grow. And so when it's time to tap into that equity, you know you have liquid cash you can always tap into. Uh, and, and that is how I explain liquidity. I mean, I don't advise anyone to hold. If you're not going to be in real estate for at least five years, then just don't bother buying. Because it doesn't make sense when you look at all the costs coming in and the costs going out. Uh, at the end of the day, it may not make sense to buy. You must have thought we were crazy with our three-year <laughs> our three-year rent-to-own strategy when you first heard that. When I, what are what are these guys talking about with these rent-to-own things? But uh, okay, and but, then but I, I was just going to say, but I think that's the key with the real estate. How why so many people say don't get into the market because so many people are always looking at it as just the price point, and it's like they're they're trying to time the market all the time versus this approach saying, no, no, this is like a long-term asset that you're holding and here are the benefits over the long term. But if you're trying to time it and treat it like it's a stock, 
it's right. it's it's the different then world, emotions right? get involved and it's difficult the well, way yeah. ken's outline is very logical yeah and there's right? well there's so many more costs involved right because you can buy a stock and you pay one cent commission or nothing right whereas mm-hmm. here you have like to your point you have all these costs associated with acquiring it and getting rid of it but those costs can be recouped over the long run and plus right. more I'm, I'm interested on the 10% uh, 10% return strategy how do you explain that with real estate because t- real estate's not, uh, most people getting into real estate might associate that with, oh, well, properties don't go up 10% a year. How do you explain the 10%? I mean, we look at all the profit centers in the real estate, right? So the fact that the tenant is paying down your mortgage every month, um, the fact that you may have some capital appreciation, I mean, doesn't always happen. And the fact that you can also get some cash flow, right? And, and we know just from our experience and from the experiences of others that you can get at least 10% once you look at all of those profit centers. And so that's why real estate is very, very attractive. So most people don't see all of these profit centers. They only look at the cash that comes to their pocket at the end of every month. Um, and, and I think that's a short-sighted way to look at real estate. Mm-hmm. What was the fourth one, Ken? It was growth, liquidity, 10%. What was the fourth one? So there is growth, there is liquidity, tax advantage, and then there is um, there is uh, interest. The fact the annual returns. Oh yeah, got it. Yeah. Got so it. annual return of at least ten percent, something that can give you growth yeah, over yeah. time. Uh, tax advantage and liquidity. And the, what is your favorite tax advantage that you uh, tell people about real estate? I, I think there's. When the account, when our accountant first explained to me that you could be cash flow, because po- remember, um, Nick, we bought properties with CMHC fees, and the property itself to us was cash flow positive on a day to day basis. But then after you took some of the expenses, and at that time it was CMHC fees that we could take as the deduction on the property. Well, my, my one, one of the earliest, I, I, I'm pretty sure it's the first rental property I ever have. I, I don't even know, actually don't remember which one it was. I don't know if it was one with you or with someone else or myself or whatever, but I, I do remember that I was working at the region of Peel at the time. And I got, I was making probably about 40,000, low $40,000 range, something like that, maybe, maybe 45. And I, uh, I ended up that year getting just under a $10,000 tax return. And I remember when I got the check, I was blown away. I'm like, what the hell? Like, holy cow, this is crazy. And how I got that is because, because to your point, it was the property closed uh, late in the year. It was two months worth of income on the property. Now I claimed all my expenses. Yeah, you had now, all your expenses to claim now that I know, year. Now I know you're not really supposed to. You're supposed to amortize them over yeah, here. Ken's so, going to shake his head at you. You know He's what? But, shake no, but his seven head. years. It's, it's longer than seven years ago. I think I'm free, right? Yeah, CRA well, can't come well, after well, me. So I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> now I can share it openly. So I screwed up my taxes and I claimed all the expenses, legal costs, uh, land transfer tax, CMHC fees, to your point, all that stuff. So on paper, it had this big loss, but then I get this big check, but it's it's cash flow positive. But, you know, on paper, so, and then I don't, I, I don't even know if I, I claimed depreciation or not that year. Probably not. Probably didn't, because like you months. probably didn't know what you were doing. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I did, I, I mean, I didn't actually prepare my own taxes, but I, but the, the person that I went to was just like, uh, it was like an, I don't know if it was HR block or not, so don't like sue me for liability, like it's slander <laughs> or something. It was just like in the mall, one of those kind of like, this tax time comes, they set up in the mall for, you know, a month or whatever. That's you right. go there, you give them your stuff and they prepare taxes for you. It was one of, one of those types of things. So yeah, it was, it was huge. That's when, that's when we discovered the power of real estate. We're like, whoa. Yeah. Cause well, I was reading about the tax stuff, right. Or we were reading about the tax stuff. I could never really, I need like the, the, the kind of real life example in front of me for me to truly understand something. That's right. And that's when it, that's when it hit me. I'm like, holy shit, I should go back and read 
what I was reading before because now I might understand it differently. And that's when it kind of hit me. Right? That's, that's right. Uh, I mean, for the tax part, so the way I like to look at it, uh, because sometimes a lot of people confuse cash flow with uh, profit from the property. So those are two different things, right? So cash flow doesn't necessarily mean profit. So you may be getting cash flow from the property, but at the end of the day, when you do your tax return, you just to your point, you may end up in a lost position. You may even have negative cash flow, but when you do your tax return, you end up in a situation where you have a lot of taxes to pay. And so for tax advantages with real estate, the biggest one is the depreciation. So the CCA that you can claim. And so that is a tool you can use. Um, then the other important one as well is if you have multiple properties, now you can claim a couple of other expenses because now you're running a business, right? And so I always advise my clients, you've got to structure your lifestyle so that it is so integrated with your business in such a way that some of the things you claim with after-tax dollars or you spend money on with after-tax dollars, you cannot convert some of those expenses to before taxes dollars. How, how can you have uh, so a sorry? How, how can you have a negative cash flow property but still be positive at, at the end of the year? Well, the biggest reason is the principal payment that you don't deduct, right? So we know how we make a mortgage payment. Let's say my mortgage payment is two thousand dollars I pay. One thousand of that may just be interest. The other one thousand is principal. Payments. That's right. And so on my tax return, I don't deduct the principal. I only deduct the interest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. I was thinking. I was That's sitting here right. thinking that. I'm like, how how does that happen? Like, I'm sure he's right. I'm like, how does it happen? But yeah, I forgot mm -hmm. about that. And then depreciation. There's other things you can take into effect. That's but right. that'll make you more positive. I was wondering. Depreciation will make more positive. Correct. Right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's got a negative. It. It's, it's that. So that's depreciation. The depreciation can. If you take the depreciation, depreciation is something that you cannot use to write off all of those expenses particularly if it's adding to your income, if you're holding the property in your personal name. That was the other, yeah, and that was the other thing I didn't realize when I'm holding the property in my personal name. At the time we were buying rental properties, yeah. my income and my T4 income as an employee was high. So I had a lot of taxes That's that right. I could get back and that was kind of eye-opening to me as well. Um, so in your, in your book, I know you have these diagrams that I always kind of like go gaga over because I just like the way you've outlined things really uh, straightforward like that. When do you recommend people get corporations to hold real estate? Because you alluded to it right now, and it's a question we get all the time. Like, do I start right now or when do I start? What, what, how do you answer the question? So for me, I, I just look at it long term. I say, okay, do you intend to buy more properties? And so if the answer is yes, that I have a plan of buying more rental properties, I always advise use a corporation. Um, but if you say you only want to buy one or two, I say, well, it's just going to be simpler for you to just buy it in your name. right? Because at the end of the day, you may end up getting the same tax advantages. Um, but if you want to buy more, two, three, four, five, then I just advise you to use a corporation. And that way, it's going to be more cost-effective for you. Uh, it's going to be easier for you to manage. Then you don't have to deal with the additional cost of, of keeping a corporation. I think some people run out of the gates and get a corporation just with one property because they're all excited about getting a corporation. That's and right. we're usually like lead with cash flow. Like get two That's or right. three properties, let the, the cash flow from the properties pay for the overhead. But then once you get down the corporation 
road. We didn't understand this for so long, Ken, because we got multiple corporations. We did the whole holding company and had an active business and we started opening other companies. And then things got interesting because then when you can start moving money around between corporations, that's, that's powerful. In your book, you know how you have those diagrams and you're like investing or growing with velocity and then with 10 times velocity? Well, right. Can you outline what 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 are you talking about when you when you map those out? Like, what are you referring to when you're saying here's how you can invest, leverage, and grow tax efficiently with ten times velocity? Can you? And I know it's difficult because people aren't going to have this That's in right. front of them. But can you just out, outline that a little bit? Well, it's just, it's just about stacking and, and thinking of ways to leverage. And so, if you're starting out, uh, and, and I advise, well, get a property first to get into the market. And you hold that property for five years. You now have some equity in that property. Now, that equity you can use to buy one or two other properties. And now, once you have three properties, you have insurance. uh, Because the type of insurance I like to talk about is the tax advantage insurance that is more like a bank account. And so, if you're putting cash in your insurance vehicles, you're putting cash in your in your TFSA account. So all of this cash, because the whole idea is to figure out a way to save money tax-free, allow that money to grow tax-free, and then withdraw that money tax-free. That is the ultimate goal. That um, is a beautiful goal. It That's is. a lot of tax-free in That's that explanation. Right. It's, it's difficult to achieve, but, but we well, can it's get It's what we're all close. trying to do, yeah. yeah but we yeah. can get pretty close. And so once you start stacking things uh, and doing it intentionally, then it's a lot easier to see how, by the time you own two, three properties, then it becomes easy to even double that, right? And so that's the whole essence of velocity and doing it quickly. It's also, and, and that's that's also the point where you add in into the diagram that the addition of a side business or a side hustle that you mentioned earlier to additional streams of income that then can offset, like if, if your primary source of income is paying for you know, all your living expenses, and maybe there's some left for savings. If you do get that additional source of income, but you don't allow your lifestyle to change because of it, and you can then either force that all into investments or into additional savings, that then amplifies things very quickly too, which I think a lot of times if people, as their incomes increase, or if they get an additional source, their lifestyle will change accordingly, and then that source gets sucked up, and then they can't get ahead from the asset perspective, right, which is the challenge too. So I like that you kind of threw that in there as well. And, and it's it's really complete because the primary residence is there. Primary residence number two, you know, you, know, you just got like like just options of, of what to do. Well, the stuff that you've shared in the, in your book is Canadian specific information that's really hard to get. Like I find I found we only figured this stuff out after years of working um, with an accountant. And then you kind of put, fill in the missing pieces of how, how everything comes together. Right. Whereas what you've done a nice job is explaining exactly how to structure this thing. It's almost like a roadmap. So it's right. really cool what you've done here. Okay. When, how much do you think personal development has been uh, responsible for where you are today? Oh, I mean, a, a whole lot, a whole lot. And I, and I thank you guys for that uh, because I didn't focus a lot on personal development until I came into your world. Really? Because I feel like uh, well, you were reading books and you were doing all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, I was, but not a whole lot of personal development books. I was reading a lot more on real estate and, and trying to learn more about taxes. Um, but, but when I came into your world, I don't remember the exact person that you guys referred us to. Uh, because you were always recommending lots of books. And so I would start reading all these books. I got onto an email list for one of them. I don't remember who. 
And all of a sudden, I started getting all these bunch of emails. Yeah, and, <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> and, and as I got connected to, I got into the marketing world, right? You guys were preaching a lot about marketing and sales. And so as I got into all this marketing world, people like Russell Bronson, uh, uh, yeah, probably Jeff, Ryan Jeff, Dice, all of them, yeah, 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 Ryan yeah. Dice, all of them. I yeah. just got into Dan all this Kennedy, world. probably you heard us mention that's Dan right, Kennedy. That's right, that's yeah, right. Yeah. So since 2014, uh, just coming to, to your events, uh, I was part of your VIP program, coming to those events, and just learning a lot about sales and marketing. Uh, it's just recently I started appreciating all of this stuff because even for those years, I, I just knew all this knowledge. I never really, really implemented them, particularly in my business. Uh, but it's just recently that I now took the initiative to start learning. And I thank God for COVID because that's why I wrote this book. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> Give then, you the time. Yeah, yeah, I just started diving deep into stuff. I took all sorts of marketing class, classes. I did the One Funnel Away Challenge with Russell Brunson. Um, awesome. Started getting deep into marketing, started getting deep into all this stuff. And now uh, I, I'm, I'm loving it because now I appreciate all of this stuff. It's funny because it, I looked uh, at the sub, <laughs> I looked at the subheadline of, of the book earlier and I was like, oh, it's actually pretty good. It's good. Yeah, so yeah, it's, sim yeah. it's something similar to yeah. the, what we would look at as the blueprint to quickly build tax efficient wealth That's to achieve right. financial freedom in four actionable steps. That's right. Yeah, is, we read which, that and we're yeah. like, oh, there's a marketer yeah, here. There's something. This, this yeah. is it. Yeah, so good for you. And even the website that you have your book on, it looks like you are uh, doing some advanced marketing stuff because you're offering the book. Yeah, That's you're, right. you're offering the book. And I think the reason that we always kind of sh shake everybody and say, hey, it's not just real estate. Like real estate's so powerful in all our lives, right? But the sales and the marketing, if you're going to start a side hustle, these are the keys to freedom. Because I feel, I bet you, if you ended up going back to living in Nigeria, with what you know here about real estate, but also about sales and marketing, you could go there and start your own business and it, it's the same principles over there. Yeah, and to me, that's personal. You know, we always talk about your life, your terms. To me, if Ken Green knows how to make a sale, if he knows how to market to get attention in himself, he's got pure freedom. It doesn't that's matter right. the economic system or environment. He's going to be able to craft out a living for him and his family. I'm talking like you're not here, Ken. <laughs> Just, but, but, that's, but that's what we feel gives us freedom. That I feel like Nick and I, we could be dropped anywhere in the world. And it's like, you know what? We're going to figure things out. I, I think it applies to just investing in real estate as well. If you haven't done anything outside of a corporate nine to five world, and then you have to, you become an investor with your first property, as you know, with your first one, when you got on the calendar board and there was these issues that came up and you handled these issues, all of a sudden your resourcefulness and kind of what you're comfortable with and your, your comfort level just within life and within everyday society changes and you're capable of more. And I've, I've seen a lot of investors say that they're like, yeah, once I started investing in real estate, I didn't realize I could do a lot of the things that I can do. And because there was that like fear or just kind of lack of the unknown that was holding them back a little bit. So, so in both ways, specifically sales and marketing in that way, but just sometimes whether it's investing in real estate or doing something else that you wouldn't normally do, it just expands who you are as a person. And you're able to do then okay. do and conquer more and take those skills. If it is in real estate or something else, they're transferable into other areas as well. No different than the sales and marketing stuff is, right? Yeah, totally agree. So I'm excited that you got into that, Ken. That's super cool. Oh, I, uh, and I think thank you for planting the seed yeah. because uh, for those, I mean, six years, just watching you guys and just learning and just absorbing, um, 
I, I just couldn't figure out why I couldn't get into it earlier. I, I think I was just too busy. I the timing's my, not real. I had my head in the sand with my accounting business. Sometimes if we don't look up, we don't see the opportunities. Uh, and sometimes you see the opportunity in someone else and you're That's like, right. I know That's there's, right. there, there's, you got to do this stuff, you That's know, right. but, but uh, there's timing too. There's oh, yeah. the timing to things change. That changes things for well, sure. And, too, and right? the thing that now, you know, I'm 47 right now. And the thing that I've come to appreciate, if you can meet professionals like yourself, Ken, who set your, you up with the right corporate strategies early with your real estate. Every real estate investor goes through this period where they get very frustrated. You know, you buy your first property, you have no more money. You know, or you're you're lucky enough to get two, let's say, and and then you have no more money and a few years go by and you're feeling like you're not getting ahead. And it's the most, it's kind of like this desert area and as the real estate investor, in the real estate investor's world where they're suffering a little bit. But if you stick with it, and properties go up in value. And then you have one of these credit lines, like you That's said, right. it has a liquidity. And then That's you can right. dip into that and then eventually buy another property. It sounds like it takes forever, but when five years passes and then 10 years passes, and now that I, Nick and I are getting older and it's compounding, That's right. then you see the power of setting the structures up properly co- right. in a corporate and, and you understand how people get ahead. That's right. That's you right. know, and then you just yeah, want to tell the world. You're like, oh my gosh! I know, you but know, the world, a lot of the world wants to hear that it happens in two weeks. In two weeks, and that's, <laughs> they don't right, want to hear the that. They don't want to hear that God, Ken got screwed on some property, went from 130 <laughs> yeah. down to 90, and he had to put himself on the condo board. And yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's hard work, and you freak out. The first, it's, just, it's long term. You got to do you got to do the right things consistently over the long term, and then there's a lot of good things that happen when you just take that approach with things. That's right, yeah. right. So, um, Ken, anyone uh, listening to the, and, and first of all, I, uh, sorry, I, I guess we should say that you're, we should have invited your wife on here too, because you brought her up enough. So please, yeah, yeah, please, uh, please uh, tell her we say hi. And um, next time she has to come on with you. Certainly, certainly. Um, but uh, if someone listening to this wants to get a copy of the book, which website should they go to for this, uh, the book or where can they find a copy of it? Well, the best place is just to go to kengreen.ca. Uh, so if you go to kengreen.ca, you'll see the Tax Efficient Worth uh, tab there, and you can click on it. Or just go to kengreen.ca slash Tax Efficient Worth. Yeah, cool. Thanks, yeah. Ken. You have a more Canadian name than we have, Ken. <laughs> Ken Green. I'm Tomislav Mio Karaja. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So uh, kengreen.ca. Um, yeah, cool. Anything else you wanted to share while you're here before we wrap up? Uh, no, just to... Just, uh, you know, thank you. Thank you for, for putting, for some reason, just putting me on this journey and just elevating my my experience and my education. Uh, and so this is what I'm all about now, just trying to educate people uh, and to share as much as I can because I think uh, that's what you guys have been doing for years. Because if you know, if you educate yourself, then you have more control, right? You have more control in terms of what you do with your money. And, and how you grow with your with how you grow your money as well, and so that's what that's what I'm doing. Just preaching to people, you know. Just learn, learn, develop yourself, develop your financial knowledge as much as you can, uh, and take control of your investments. Yeah, cool. Thanks, awesome. Ken. And 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 I just want to say one thing. You know how cool it is for Nick and I that you know we've crossed paths like this, and now you're saying you're out there educating people. So like we don't know if we're educators in any way we're trying to share our journey and trying to share stuff but then you've been influenced in some small way by many people right but including us a little bit but then now you're out there sharing the message and i just feel like there's this group of us and together 
we can really make an impact on everybody in Canada, right across the country. And we're all doing it in our own ways and our own voices. And I feel like it's powerful, yeah, you know? So, so to be on that journey with you now, where you're educating, we're educating together. Right. I feel, I, we, Nick and I are both very grateful for that. Yeah, so. he, you just Thank expressed you. it better. I was gonna say, it just makes me feel like now if there's someone else that is going down that path, it just makes us old. Yeah. So Tom expressed it in a much better <laughs> way yeah, than I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ken, thank you, man. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you thank for you. having me. Thanks. Appreciate it. Hey, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed that episode with Ken. You can check out his book. Pick up a copy for yourself at kengreen.ca. His book is available on Amazon. We have some copies here in the office. If you're in the office, we will hand you a copy. Get this information. This is very, Nick and I talk about all the time that one of the biggest things that Canadians can do is understand the corporate structures that you can use for holding your real estate. So when someone lays it out very plainly in a book like this, it is very beneficial for all of us. So Ken, we're grateful you did this. Thanks for putting the book together. You can learn more about Ken and the book at kengreen.ca. That's it for now. Until next time, your life, your terms.